Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of MindRamp Consulting. And we're working our way through the MindRamp MAPS method. MAPS is essentially a roadmap for action. It guides you towards the development of action plans to promote brain and mind wellness. MAPS is an acronym that stands for Motivation, Assessment, Planning, and Skills. So we are now at the assessment stage. In the previous two weeks, we focused on two aspects of motivation, big picture motivation and targeted motivation. And we discussed the big picture goal of qualongevity, maintaining quality of life across a long lifespan or a long health span, to be more precise. And we suggested that you explore different aspects of your big picture motivation. We discussed the idea that happiness or quality of life results from A, good feelings like happiness, contentment, joy, coupled with B, a sense of purpose, achievement, and fulfillment. We also ask that you identify your core values. What are the values you want to live by? We looked at areas of fulfillment and achievement. How much fulfillment are you deriving from the different roles you play, from the different aspects of your life, like family, relationship, work, personal development, and so on? These are all aspects of what we call big-picture motivation. We also discussed targeted motivation. This is motivation to initiate and carry you through specific targeted activities. So, how do you get motivated to start working on a specific strategy and tactics that flow from it? How do you sustain that motivation over time? We suggested that there are a core set of motivational conditions that need to be met in order to feel fully motivated to take and sustain action. For example, do you believe that the proposed action will really work? Well, you need to. Do you believe that the desired outcome really matters? Do you believe that you are capable of performing whatever actions are necessary to follow through on the proposed actions? As you will have noticed, there's a lot of overlap and interplay between the first two stages of the MAPS method, between motivation and assessment. You need to assess where you are and where you want to be in the future in order to motivate action. As we said, one key driver of motivation is to believe that you have the ability to achieve what you want to achieve. The health of your brain, and importantly, the state of your mind, can have a huge impact on your belief in yourself. And that's why MindRAM focuses on the two sides of the brain health coin. A healthy brain and positive states of mind are the yin and yang of qualongevity. So these two objectives are central to the MindRAM method. You need, first of all, to find the motivation to keep your brain healthy and to master your mind. Then, you need to honestly assess whether you are doing all you can to keep your brain healthy. And further, you need to assess the effectiveness of your normal mental states. Do they help you, or do they hurt you? The combined goals are to make sure that the hardware of your brain is healthy and robust enough to support the kind of software development of your mind that's needed to produce wisdom and happiness. The more wisdom we possess, the more likely we are to figure out how to live long lives that cultivate and welcome happiness and fulfillment.
Now, while these two sides of the coin are intimately linked, we'll deal with them one at a time. So let's start by looking at ways to assess the health of your brains. Are you doing all you can to optimize the chances of keeping your brain healthy and operating at full capacity? We organize the assessment of your brain around eight behavioral areas that have proven to have a profound effect on brain health. We call these eight areas the essential cogwheels of brain health. Briefly, they are physical exercise and movement, that is how you move and how you use your body. Two, mental stimulation and mastery, how you develop and use your mind. Three, social engagement, the nature of your interactions with other people. Four is stress management, how you deal with stress. Five is diet and nutrition, how and what you ingest affects your health and psychology. Six is sleep, how your sleep patterns affect your health and well-being. Seven is medical factors, obviously the condition of your body, the condition of your, your overall health is going to affect the health and well-being of your brain and your mind. And the same is true with number eight, environmental factors. How do you interact with your environment and, and how does the environment affect your health, your mood, and your mental constructs? We take a risk management approach with these cogwheels. The risk management approach recognizes that you can engage with each of the cogwheel behavioral areas in good ways or bad ways. The way you behave and the choices you make can either increase your risks of disease and debility, or they can minimize those risks. The strategy is to identify behaviors and habits that put you at risk and either eliminate them or convert them into behaviors and habits that make you healthier stronger, and more resilient. So let's take a quick look at each of the cogwheels and identify both their risks and their protections. This is the core of your assessment project. How well are you doing in terms of minimizing the risks and optimizing the protections? So let's start with physical exercise and movement. Basically, the risk factors are leading a sedentary life, like just sitting around all of the time, seeking excessive comfort, if you will, all of the time. What this leads to is conditions like sarcopenia, where your muscles begin to atrophy, or osteoporosis, where your bones become brittle, um, poor balance, poor circulation and respiration, and obviously limited mobility. So none of those are good things, and we want to minimize those. The protections on the other side are doing essentially the opposite, leading an active life. And with physical uh, exercise and movement, there are five different areas that we focus on that are important. One of them is aerobic exercise, and this is what you usually think of when you think of exercise, and that's where you're, you're actually getting out and raising your heart rate to the point where you're sweating and breathing heavily. So jogging or swimming or riding a bike is great aerobic exercise, and that's necessary. But you also need strength training exercises. You need to exercise the muscles 
in your upper body, in your lower body, and very importantly, in your core. That's like in your abdomen. Core strength needs to be exercised by doing crunches and things like that. You also need to do a lot of stretching. You want to remain flexible and, and nimble. And in the process, exercising your balance. Practice standing on one foot, on the other. We don't want to fall down. We don't want to lose our balance. So you can actually practice balance and improve it. Good posture is also important. You need to sit up straight and stand up straight because your body feels better, number one, and it operates better, number two, when everything is aligned properly. Mental stimulation and training is a very complex area, but in very broad terms, the risks are things like boredom, illiteracy, negative thinking, mindlessness, and, and close-mindedness. This results in poor cognitive skills, limited imagination, limited brain reserve, and ultimately towards brain atrophy. Your brain actually starts dying and atrophying if you don't use it and stimulate it uh, by doing engaging mental activities. The protections, therefore, are mental activities that are novel, number one, Doing different types of things than what you normally do is, is very important. Number two, challenging. You need to challenge yourself a little bit. If you're always doing stuff that is easy and comfortable, you're not really challenging and stressing your brain to the point where it's going to grow. It's also important to do mental activities that are meaningful to you because you want to engage your emotional self. The emotions are a, an integral part of what's going on in your brain. So you want to get um, your, your emotions engaged with your thinking as well. And all of the activities, in order to really get the best out of what you're doing with your mental activities, if you engage in creative activities, uh, these really sort of do all of these things. It's novel. It's challenging. Hopefully, they'll be meaningful to you. So if you stick with those, that's the best way to stimulate your mental activities. We'll get into more about mental activities in the second episode of the assessments. But for right now, let's stick with those, those main characteristics. Social engagement is incredibly important to human beings. We are social beings. We thrive when we are with people in a positive way and we feel extreme pain and get sick when we are isolated or when we're treated poorly. So the risks include isolation, loneliness, but also rejection, abuse, or the absence of support. And this leads to stress, pain, depression, anxiety, vulnerability. The protections, of course, on the other side then are, well, first thing is learning social skills so that you feel more comfortable engaging with other people so that you do actually get more engagement, more positive engagement, cooperation, friendship, love, support, forgiveness. All of these are qualities in social engagement that are protective and nurturing. Stress management is very important. Notice we don't say stress removal. You can't remove stress from your lives because stress is an important part of our ability to adapt to the environment. Stress becomes risky when it's chronic, when it's unrelieved. And this can come about because of low 
perceived status or ruminating about the past or having anxiety about the future, chronic unrelieved stress is very damaging to your health and to your well-being. It can lead to high blood pressure, hypertension, high cortisol levels in your body, and of course it doesn't feel good. The protections, well, it's learning how to cope with your stress. One important point is to recognize that stress, when it's acute, when it's short and limited, is actually protective for you. What your body is saying is, hey, there's there's a little bit of a crisis here. You need to deal with it. But then you do deal with it, and the stress response calms down. And we say it becomes dangerous when that stress response never calms down and just remains elevated. So whatever you can do to deal with the immediate stress is good, so you resolve it. But often then, we're not so successful in that. And what we're dealing with more often is this ongoing stress related to anxiety and rumination. So finding techniques like simply strategic breathing. When you take a nice deep breath in and exhale, that actually modulates your autonomic nervous system. It triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. So taking a deep breath and exhaling will actually calm your body down. Another important aspect is reframing stress as challenge rather than as somehow a a deep threat. If you think of it as a challenge, then that means, well, okay, it's a challenge. That means I need to do something. You can plan for it and go forward with it. We talk about the difference between slow thinking and fast thinking. And frequently when we are stressed out by something, we kick, our brain kicks into this fast thinking and we have to respond immediately. Oftentimes just slowing down a little bit, taking a moment and thinking through what's going on will enable you to respond in a more, in a calmer and more sensible manner that minimizes the stress. With diet and nutrition, the two extremes, clearly starvation is risky if you don't get enough food, but also obesity is risky. Too much food is is not good for you. Beyond that, as a general rule, processed foods are risk factors for you. Processed foods and packaged foods are loaded and loaded with sugar in particular uh, because it tastes good and it's addictive and it makes us want to eat and buy that food more often. But it has a bad effect on our bodies. We're getting way too much sugar. This can lead to leaky gut syndrome, insulin resistance, poor metabolism, obesity, and all of that is bad for your body and for your brain. So what you need to do, obviously, the protections then are to drink clean water and clean air, eat real food rather than processed and packaged food, stress a plant-based diet Uh, Rather than loading up with tons and tons of meat and not eating any fruit or vegetables ever, do the opposite. Stress fruits and vegetables go light on the meat. Fiber is very important. So the more fiber you can get into your body or into your diet, rather, with whole grains and fresh leafy vegetables, for example, your gut bacteria will like you for that. So that's protective. But sleep and mental rest, the risks are insomnia, sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, 
when you're not getting enough sleep, that's risky. In particular, you need to get enough deep sleep because this is when the brain clears out the, the garbage that is accumulated during the day. The metabolic waste is flushed out of your, your brain during deep sleep. And also getting enough REM sleep. This is when you're dreaming because it appears to be that when you're dreaming, that's when you're consolidating memories and when your brain is sorting out which memories are useful to retain and which ones can be let go. Medical factors are clearly important. Chronic illness, chronic infection, chronic inflammation, injuries, over-medication, all of these are risk factors. There's a lot of evidence about cardiovascular disease being very important for your brain health because if your brain isn't getting enough blood, it's not getting the nutrients it needs to work properly. So, all of these risk factors can lead to very complicating illnesses and conditions like metabolic syndrome, diabetes, insulin resistance. So you need to take good care of yourself. The protections are good medical care and then management of whatever chronic conditions you have so that they don't get worse. Finally, environmental factors are very important. Pollution, for example, and toxins are very risky to your brain. But then also things like being overcrowded in the environment. Too many people, not enough room. If that leads to stress, that can be risky. A lack of resources and facilities. A lack of green space. We are evolved to feel better when we are close to nature, and it's very hard to get frequently in our overbuilt urban environments. So those are all risk factors. Things like noise, garbage, unsanitary conditions, heavy industry and traffic, those are all risky. Mold in the house, uh, if there's black mold, that can be very uh, dangerous to your brain, as is disease. We are as I record this, we are in the middle of the um, coronavirus pandemic, and obviously the presence of the virus in our environment is a huge risk factor that we need to protect ourselves from. So taking those precautions, protections in this situation, now wearing a mask, physical distancing, those are protective factors in a more generalized frame. An enriched environment is more protective than, say, the opposite, an impoverished environment. When we get have resources in the environment that nurture our brains and stimulate our brains, it's much better than an, an environment that is boring or worse is scary and dangerous. So we need safety, we need security, and we need to be around green spaces. We need to take advantage of nature as much as we can. So your assessment goals are to evaluate your strengths and weaknesses around all eight of the cogwheels. You need to identify your vulnerabilities so that you can design interventions that will reduce them. And you need to identify areas of strength, you know, what you're already doing right, so that you can reinforce them and strengthen them. Awareness and intention are the initial steps in the assessment process. You have to raise your awareness of the factors that influence your well-being. 
For the most part, you, like the rest of us, spend most of our time on autopilot. We behave automatically without giving much conscious attention or thought to why we are doing what we're doing. So the initial step in the assessment process is to focus attention on these targeted behaviors and raise them to conscious awareness. This activates our prefrontal cortex, the executive part of the brain. And it's, it's that prefrontal cortex that enables us to make conscious and deliberate decisions about what we're doing. Note that awareness, attention, consciousness, deliberate decision-making are all aspects of mental mastery. As you exercise them, you're also exercising your brain and your mind. And we'll take a closer look at each of those uh, keys to mental mastery later on. Once you have a sense of what's putting you at risk, your next step, looking ahead, is to design a plan to minimize or eliminate a specific risk factor. If you're eating too much sugar, for example, you design a specific plan with strategies and tactics to reduce the amount of sugar you ingest. That's the, the P in the maps. We're now talking about the A assessment. The next step is P, the planning stage. And then later on in the series, we will get to the S, which stands for skills for sustainability. In that section, we will review mental skills and strategies that will help you stick with your plan and see it through to success. If you want more guidance with the assessments, check out the MindRamp playbook. The chapter on assessments has assessment charts for each of the cogwheels, as well as a summary chart that enables you to keep track of your progress and also to prioritize your next steps.